plots may be simple or complex, but suspense and climactic progress from one incident to another are essential. H.P. Lovecraft. You're listening to Writing Roots, brought to you by Aspen House Publishing. Welcome to Writing Roots. I'm Lee Hull. And I'm Lee Esses. And today's the day for me to get roasted. <laughs> Don't worry, mine's coming. Today's episode, we are going to be discussing my book released last month, Katie Ratio. So, spoiler alerts. If you haven't read it, maybe skip this episode if you care about spoilers. One of the main things you asked me to do as your editor is to keep an eye out for things that will bring your word count back down, will rein your word count in. Today's episode is approaching that concept and several ways to approach it in order to solve that problem that you've asked me to look at. So the reason I asked her to do that was the first book in the series, Toxic, is 72,000 words. By the time I finished my edits of Katie Ratio, I was at more than 88,000 words. That's a ridiculous amount of words, more than the first book, and probably too much for a cozy mystery series. So a rule of thumb, take it with a grain of salt, of course, but a rule of thumb for series and for sequels would be make sure the next book isn't more than about 10,000 words more than the previous book. So a fair amount of my edits for you were, okay, does this seed need to be in here? Can we combine these scenes here? Is this scene necessary? What can be chunked away? And I have good news. It went from 88,000 to less than 84,000, and I'm not quite done applying all of the edits yet. A couple other things we're going to address in this episode are structural changes, things to keep an eye out for in the grand scheme of things, more than just chop this out here. But we're going to start with where do we combine scenes? Start the roasting. I feel like we need a sound effect here. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Drum roll, please. No, not on this table. <laughs> we won't kill your ears, I promise. So much like combining characters in the Pixar method of combine characters whenever possible, combining scenes can really help make sure your plot moves forward. One of the first things I noticed is you had several scenes stacked up next to each other that could have all been the same scene. Every scene should have a purpose, and I feel like you know that going into this. But I'm a pantser. So there's a fair amount of, oh, this character needs to interact with this one, and so we're going to go from a date to a party to another party, which is fun, and we're all a little envious of Thea in that regard. There was never a date party party. It was a date, then a party, then the next day, a party, then a party. And I think the scene previous to the date was also a party, right? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> so good for Thea. Party! She's much better at the whole social thing than I am. I can do like one party every two weeks. She's got like five in three days. I guess I'm just exaggerating my own lifestyle where I do like maybe a party a year. You're with the book launch party. Now you've done two in six months. Yeah, but they're two different calendar years. Do you think I'm getting into another one this calendar year? Uh, yeah, maybe not. But a lot of the same characters interact. 
And so you can combine the information that you're conveying in these scenes, introducing these red herring characters or starting their path down to the breakup. These things can be combined. If you're looking in your own writing, listener, to see if scenes should be combined or not, a good place to start is actually the settings. The settings should play a part in the story. This is where your theater background comes into play, because in film, you can have all sorts of different settings, as long as you're a you know large enough budget film. If you're a small budget film or theater, you want as few different locations as possible. You don't want the audience sitting there waiting for the scene change to happen for a two minute conversation in the phone on the way to the crime scene. So... If you're looking for ways to combine information, when you're introducing a location, also introduce a concept so that later on in the story, you can use this information of this setting and bring it back into the moment. Ron drinks a cup of coffee that becomes relevant from a specific coffee shop that she's familiar with. You could have had her and Logan's date at the beginning of the book at that coffee shop. Introduce the coffee shop We get a little bit of that vibe. And then when the coffee shop comes back into play, it's a sneaky way to revisit the location without actually going there again. Yeah, a lot of this is part of me being a pantser where I just kind of go with the flow. I pick places as it would feel natural as I write. So these kind of changes are things that I could adjust to help make things connect better. But it's also difficult because it means going back and adjusting so much. So if this is something you can keep in mind during your first draft of, hey, can I use this location later when they're doing the cosplay photo shoot? Great, let's use it. Another structural thing that I would like to have seen in your book is some kind of a ticking clock, some kind of a deadline. You had that in the first book with the regional final, yay, they win and get a title and have a new feather in their cap and all that jazz. There was no indicator to the readers that the finale is going to happen at the Ren Fair. If you had perhaps included some reference to the dragon or some reference to the Ren Fair even in one of his earlier letters that might have helped us connect to the end. So we know this is the big finale, jazz hands. So one of my struggles with that, particularly with the dragon, was the dragon theme that I had in the first book. I wanted it to be a dragon that Camilla created, this mechanical dragon, because, well, it would just be so cool to see this giant mechanical steampunk looking dragon at a Ren Fair, but I didn't want to have that be too much of my villain's wording because that echoes too much back to the villain of my first one. It would almost make it seem like my first antagonist in Toxic had returned. So in that case, the Ren Fair or some kind of indicator that this is the finale. We want to signpost along the way, to use Sanderson's words, we want to signpost that this is the moment. You mean just saying, hey, I'm going to a Ren Fair in two weeks isn't cutting it? Not unless we associate the villain with the Ren Fair. 
I was like, okay, the finale for this big puzzle game that I have laid out for you is going to happen both two weeks in the future and 400 years in the past. Okay, now we know the Ren Fair is significant and not just another thing on her schedule. Because I kind of felt like the GameCon was a little bit of that, where it was a red herring as far as the finale, almost. Where I thought maybe that's where it was going to go. Nope, we went that way instead. Because red herrings everywhere. (laughs) That's really kind of what this book felt like. I think I was trying to make up for a lack of red herrings in my first book with like all of the red herrings in this one. It just became so unwieldy. Another thing I wanted to mention as far as the setup and payoff, which we're going to talk a little bit more about in one week from today, but she is attending these jujitsu classes and then she uses jujitsu in the end. Now we see one of the techniques that she learned used in the final, but she goes to class a second time and this elaborate complex move that she uses to take down the bad guy in the end you have to explain every element of the technique as she's performing it, and it slows that down. So you do have this jujitsu class, explaining it then, and then hitting just the keywords during the final fight will help us connect that. So it would be a lot like the Sherlock Holmes featuring Robert Downey Jr., his fight scene breakdown, where he thinks about it first, head cocked to the left, partial deafness in the ear, first point of attack. Two, throat, paralyzed vocal cords, stop scream. Three, got to be a heavy drinker, floating rib to the liver. Four, finally, drag in the left leg, fist to patella, summary prognosis, unconscious in 90 seconds, martial efficacy quarter of an hour at best. Full faculty recovery, unlikely. That's the learning process. You're teaching the reader, teaching the audience the technique so that later on you can do Ear, throat, floating rib, patella, recovery, unlikely. That makes a lot of sense. And this, again, is a result of me being a pantser. I didn't know how that final fight scene was going to go. The only thing at that time that I knew I wanted to include was the chokehold I taught in the first Brazilian jiu-jitsu class. I didn't go into any specific details in the second class, which is why at the end fight scene, I was like, Stuff happens, do things. Oh, hey, look, there's this really cool technique I found. I'm totally going to include that. And it was just a random thing thrown in that I had to break down that slows the whole momentum of that scene. And I'm glad you pointed that out, that I have this wonderful scene already that I could just plug that information into. That'll help make that final conflict just sail. I'm very excited to get these edits applied to my story, really work on tightening up all of those aspects because it will make a better book in the end. Hopefully by this time you've read it, you've enjoyed it. I love you guys. You're wonderful. But if you see these issues popping up in your story, make sure you edit selfishly and you write selfishly. If you have a question or comment for our hosts or a topic you'd like us to cover, send us an email at writingroots at aspenhousepublishing.com or find us on Facebook by searching for Aspen House Publishing. 